Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. On September the 21st, 2014, from Coolidge, Arizona, we welcome all of you who are on board today. We're going to have a wonderful time in the Word. We have finished the Gospel of Luke. Well, there's a lot more. We could go back over it again and uh, be another three or four years on it and, and deal with all new stuff, I suspect. But we are beginning the book of Acts, and I have some preparatory thoughts before we get into the book, because the, the, the word, it was named Acts, because it's covering some of the Acts of some of the apostles. And uh, that's, uh, and so it has acquired the name of the book of Acts. It's written by the same author as Luke, and it is addressed to the same person as Luke addressed, Dr. Luke addressed his gospel to. And who was that? Theophilus. So we need to keep that in mind as we study the book of Acts. But first, as I said, some preparatory verses to lead us up to what the Acts is accomplishing and attempting to do. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15. Chapter 3 and verse 15. <clears throat> I, have, I have three things that I want to discuss in, in preparation for getting into the book of Luke. I mean the book of Acts. I'm being reminded here quickly. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> I've said Luke for so long, it's kind of, you know, deeply ingrained. But I, I want to look at, first of all, why the book of Acts was written. Uh, I, and we're going to get that from outside of the book of Acts primarily. But um, as it relates to the church. And then, secondly, uh, the, the place of the apostles. And this is not, these, are, these are not going to be studies. They're just going to be a few verses each. And, um, and then some things that tie those two things together. <clears throat> so in 1 Timothy 3.15, um, well, well, let's begin with verse 14. And, and I realize we're taking this out of a context that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was the evangelist of the church at Ephesus. He had been there for about 20 years as the evangelist in the church at Ephesus. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to him. Paul doesn't have a lot of years left. But in verse 14, I am writing these things. I am writing these things. 
Now, what's the significance of that? Well, they're going to be written, and they're going to be written so that they have long-term application. They're going to have to last until all of the physical universe has wore out and things are put away, like an old piece of cloth put away, no longer usable. The second law of thermodynamics has taken its course, has come to an end, its useful purpose has been fulfilled. So this writing has to continue all the way through. That's why things are written down. I am writing these things. There would be nobody after Paul to rewrite them. He's the one. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before, before long. And later on in Timothy, we find that he tells Timothy, uh, you know, um, um, when, when you come visit me, I'm in prison now, when, and uh, the time is short. Uh, Timothy, you've got to come to me before winter. And when you're coming, bring a coat. It's cold, so cold. And so he encourages Timothy to get with it and to come to visit him. And when he comes, bring the parchments and a coat. That's in the second book of Timothy. But in case, verse 15, but in case I am delayed, I write, I put it etched in history for all of the future to behold. I write so that you will know. That's the only way we have any way of knowing about God's purpose in life is through what was written. There isn't any other means. And the Bible is that record. So let's not let anybody take that away from us. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself alone in the forest. <clears throat> Abner, you have a problem with that? Well, Are oh, you not reading the same thing I am? Are you reading the same Bible? Oh. <laughs> All right. Abner says he's reading from my Bible, and what he's reading in my Bible that he's reading isn't the same as what I just read. I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. But it, he's right. That isn't what he said, but that's what we think. I am writing so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And the household of God, the family of God, is called what? Church. That's, that's the, the, the church, which is, <clears throat> which is demonstrative. It is a household of God where God is in fellowship with his people. It's not when you go out and be alone, not that you can't do that, but it's when 
The household of God is where we are, where all of those who are a part of the church in our place, in our geographical um, area, are together. And it's the church of the living God. It's the abiding place of the living God. And the church is the pillar And the support of what? Of the truth. So if you have if if all you have is the word, you have the word with no support, no pillar. Because God has appointed that the church is the support, the pillar and the support of the truth and the word the word of truth will always produce the church and it's the church's business to support and be the pillar for God's revealed written truth you can't separate them I want that to sink in The household of God is the church of the living God. The church is the assembly of those called out. So make sure that you're identified with an assembly that is called out and has the identity of being a called out people. And and look at the emphasis in Ephesians. Since he's writing to Timothy who was the evangelist of the church in Ephesus. That's how they had elders, you know. Because you have to have you have to have an evangelist to appoint elders with the approval of the congregation. It doesn't happen any other way. Look at here in Ephesians chapter one and verses twenty two and twenty three. We know this verse. But look at it in context. Paul is writing Timothy who's the evangelist of the church in Ephesus, here's what he said to him when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And he put all, this is verse chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the local ladies' club. Oh, no. Put him... Put him as head over all things to, to the congregation, to the called out one, to the assembly of the saints. And that the church is his, fill in the blank, body. That's the only way you can ever come to a proximate understanding of Christ is through the body which is next to you, which is the visible aspect of Christ. You take the church out of the picture and you have just crucified Jesus Christ afresh. And now notice, the church, which is his body, 
by the way, this is what the book of Acts is going to be dealing with, is his body, and it is a partial resemblance of him. And I'm being contradicted again. The church is his body, and his body is the fullness. When he writes the church of Ephesus, he is saying, now I'm writing to the church. The church is his body, and the church represents the fullness of him who fills all in all. What happens then if you just carefully and quietly remove the validity of the church in today's world. What have you just done? There's no reason for Christ. There's no reason for Christ. You've moved him out of the picture. And so this, what, what I'm wanting to show and demonstrate here is that the church about which the book of Acts is written gives us our proper perspective on how to view it and that it is the means whereby God wanted the world to come to a knowledge of his kingdom. Now, I I copied a page from a book called Howley's Handbook. Any of you have it? And um, I don't know what page this is on, but I I copied, um, I think it's... um, You know, when I copied it, the page numbers didn't uh, stick. But he makes a good point, and I want to just share something with you. And I don't agree with everything that uh, uh, the author says, but he makes a valid point here. And this is an introduction now. We've established the vitality and the vitalness of the church. Now, how... How was the church going to be maintained? And that's the purpose of the apostles. So let me read something between now and when we get into the apostles here briefly. Just a couple of sentences, folks. Jesus' primary purpose in coming into the world was to die as the Lamb of God to heal humanity's broken relationship with God and to rise from the dead to establish an entry through the kingdom to the eternal life for mankind. Now, that's a complicated sentence, but that really is a nutshell of everything we've been talking about in Luke and in Sunday morning on the kingdom. But now notice his next sentence. But his life, his death, and resurrection would be useless to the world unless the world knew about it. If the men to whom he entrusted his work should fail him, then all of his ministry and all of the prophets and the ministry of Christ all of that would have been in vain. So they botched it. The Jewish people, they botched it. 
But the apostles, as well as the 70 who were sent out, but the apostles were to extend beyond the ministry of the 70 into uh, the end of that age, of, of the Mosaic age, until the time of the new heaven and the new earth were established with the new covenant at the fall of Jerusalem. Dave, Christ did not write anything in the Bible. It was the apostles that wrote everything. Right. That's so right. Without and, the apostles, we would not have a Bible. That's true. We, well, we would not have a New Testament. Right. We would not understand the New Covenant. So the training that Jesus had of the twelve, their training was not an easy, easy task, and here's why. For they were being trained for a work utterly different from what they thought they were being trained for. Did you follow? They began to follow Jesus with no thought whatsoever of becoming preachers. They were expecting that as the Messiah, he would establish a political world empire of which they would be the administrators. And that's what the book of Matthew deals with. See, every one of the Gospels, every one of the books, we have to realize what is, or what is it they're dealing with. David, I, uh, something back in verse 22 of Ephesians there. God <clears throat> um, appointed all things under his feet. He is talking simply of the church. He's not talking about the world there, right? Oh, no. That's right. So when you have all these churches out here thinking Christ is going to rule, you know, events in the world or it's all it's all about I, I don't know what they're thinking. They keep they keep wanting to expand God's kingdom into the world. And and, and that's not our business. We want to bring those in the world into the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's right. That that is the issue. So in order for so so the bulk of the churches out there, what they want to do now is take the impact of what the kingdom really is and dilute it so it's accepted in the world. Yep. And you know that uh, that that's even true of the of the uh, parties. Uh, you know, and uh, you all know where I stand on the political issues, but the thing is that uh, I, I saw an advertisement this week of somebody who, and and I hold this person in very high esteem, but they wanted to start, uh, they, they want to have a convention of uh, why we really don't need um, the state. And I thought, well, that's fine. But see, that's doomed to failure too, because they're, they're wanting to have a government that's apart from what God has already done. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them a 
a, a second of my time <clears throat> nor a, a dime of my money to be a part of anything that wants to make a perfect society apart from the society that God planned from the very beginning until now. Right. And that's what the book of Acts is trying to present to us is that God's plan has been consummated. It is complete. And the only purpose of life is to be a part of his kingdom voluntarily. And to be a part of that kingdom, we have to be a part of the church for which he died. That's the thing that's next to us. Let's read Acts, uh, let's go to um, um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Dave, I think that the most the, the most critical point of the Bible that's misunderstood is when Jesus said, "Go out in the world and teach." Who was he talking to? Because that's what the churches today want to do: is go out in the world and teach. But Christ wasn't talking to them. Jesus was giving that to the disciples to go out, but then the disciples told us to do that. Well, yeah, but not not add to. And, oh, and well, oh no, we're not to add to. But the the church was established by the apostles for the purpose of keeping the teachings of Christ and the apostles alive until <clears throat> everything is consummated in His kingdom. Right, that was completed. Yep. So let's look at Acts, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Because now, now we're drifting in uh, to, to uh, the, uh, the, the apostles' place here uh, in the book of Acts. And Ephesians is dealing that with us here. Uh, verse uh, 20. Well, let's begin with verse 19. And no extra charge for beginning with verse 19. Ephesians 2:19 So then you all who's the you uh, All right it's referring to the saints who are at Ephesus that's in verse 1 of chapter 1 and then in the very next verse he talks about you all and uh, so now that you is the same as the you in verse 1 and 2, and then he changes pronouns to us, and th then he's talking about the apostleship. But here he's talking about the church, uh, the, the saints. Uh, all, everyone who is in the church is a saint. You can't be a saint and not be in the church. You can't be in the church without being a saint. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And these saints are what in verse 19? Member of the household, the church. The household of God, the same household of God that we talked about that Paul writes to Timothy about in chapter 3 and verse 15. The church is the household of God. He's, he's, um, in Timothy, he's writing it to the evangelist, and here he's writing it to the church at large. You are no longer strangers and aliens. 
You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built. This, this uh, citizenry and this household of God has been built on the foundation of Brigham Young. <laughs> Martin Luther. And folks, that isn't what it says. They're way too late to be a part of the foundation of the church. And once the foundation has been lit, has been properly built, you don't keep building foundations on top of foundations on top of foundations on top of foundations. That's Mormonism. Foundation after foundation. All their, and so they have to have a prophet because that prophet is building, the, they're a part of the foundation. So they have a revolving foundation. There is one foundation. That's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets gave us what it was going to be like, and the apostles carry it out just the way it was supposed to be. And they had a chief cornerstone, and that was Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, the one that bound it all together, put it all together, made it all worthwhile. Now, verse 21, this household of God that is built upon the apostles and the prophets this is the thing that in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So it's not a temple built by man's hands, such as nearly all of the religions are anticipating in Jerusalem. It's not that at all. The church is growing into the holy temple positioned in the Lord in whom in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in spirit. Now the important, the important thing here as it relates to the book of Acts, we've already discussed the importance of the church, what the church is, and now that it was established <coughs> upon the um, uh, foundation. <coughs> the solidity of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now let's go to John 14. <clears throat> now this throws a twist in it all, but you're used to that. <clears throat> Did I, 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 um, I would like to, I, I, I gave you the wrong passage. I mean, I mean John 17 and verse 17. <clears throat> and this is a part of the answer to your uh, statement, Ted, earlier. Um, and it just came to me now. So we'll look at verses uh, 17 through 21. John seventeen seventeen. The word sanctify, the word holy, both come from the same word. 
and they can be uh, they can be nouns, they can be adjectives, they can be used differently in the sentence. But um, holy and sanctified, and there's a third one um, that for some reason escapes my mind right now. <clears throat> but sanctify means to to set apart because you've become a partaker of God's nature. Sanctify them in the truth. Now, what's the last four words of that sentence in the English? Your word is truth. Now, what is it that's supposed to be supportive of the truth? church the church what what verifies the church the foundation the foundation was made up of the apostles now verse 18 that's what the book of acts is about as you sent me into the world verse 18 as you sent me into the world uh, jesus is praying now i have sent them into the world for their sake I sanctify myself. I set myself aside and apart from worldly ambition that they themselves also may be sanctified in what? In truth. So Jesus was the true and pure example for the apostles specifically. Verse 20. Now, You better be sitting down. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. But for all those, for those also who believe in me through their word. Through the apostles' words, not arbitrarily, not unilaterally, it's the end of Calvinism once and for all that Jesus prayed for those all all the way down the line, all the way down the line, who would believe on him through their word. That's how that is communicated. Then in Romans, he addresses it, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he says he has appointed the positions in the church for the uh, proclamation of that gospel. We've got to keep it all in order. Now notice verse 21, even though I've made my point in verse 20. Through the apostles' word, we believe in who Jesus is because of what the apostles have said about him. Why? In verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, and I uh, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that that is the, the God, the Father, and Jesus the Son, and the apostles, and all of those who believe their word through the apostles, are all one. Wow, that sure looks like a lot more than the Trinity. Yeah, it's a whole lot more than some uh, pagan (laughs) idea of a Trinity. 
so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the mission. Boy, don't get me wound up now. <laughs> okay. uh, Stop forgetting about the apostles. Stop forgetting. We bet that's right. They are the church's founding fathers, and that's the only thing that God established is what he established upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the chief cornerstone. And if you are, you probably can't tune in this morning, but I'm going to be pressing that a little further in the uh, general assembly if I'm allowed to do so. Didn't die on the cross for us. No, but they did tell us that Christ did. That's right. And so their message um, is supportive of the fact. They were the history makers. And so, um, by the way, uh, Ted asked a question last week, and I, my answer has still remained the same, um, that I, I know of no Old Testament reference um, um, about the apostles. It, that doesn't come into play until uh, the New Covenant uh, or until Jesus' time and the establishment of his covenant in Acts chapter 2. And then, um, let me see, there was one more. I want to. I want to go to. Cha- I'm going to come back to somebody, but let go to chapter 14 and verse 3, and I'll. Um, and what was it? What were we going to say? I was going to say you were also talking about John the Baptist when you were talking about them last week. So is that what you was going to add in? You don't know if there's any prophecy about John the Baptist. Oh, there is about John the Baptist. Okay. Oh yeah, there is in Malachi. Very specifically, you can turn right to that. But the apostles, I'm not aware of any, and I, I checked everything out. And uh, how does it word in the spirit of Elijah? That's right. That, yeah. That right? And 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 that's Matthew, Matthew Matthew's account on that. And he said, you know, if if you have it in you, you can see that that John the Baptist is certainly Elijah. That was prophesied in Malachi. And he said, if you don't have that in you, why, there's no use going any further anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, in, in Acts, or in um, John chapter 14 and verse 20, I want to throw another whammo at you. Don't forget where we've, what we've covered today, because it's the foundation for what is expanded throughout the book of Acts and uh, brings it all home, I believe, uh, from, from how I look at it. Um, So in John 14 and verse 1, I'm going to start with verse 1. um, He he is talking to his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Now, is it, I, I don't really want to get into a commentary on this, but the word dwelling place here is the Holy of Holies. It's a special place, and it was a special place not for everybody at large. If it were not so, I would have told you. Who's the you? The disciples. 
For I go to prepare this holy of holy place for whom? You. And the you is the whom. I see this misused in almost every funeral. He's not talking about the general populace here. He is talking about what Jesus is going to do in behalf of the apostles for the role that they are going to be taking uh, after Jesus' ascension. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for whom? For the same you now, you all now. Don't get yourself in that you. You're not a part of this. I will come again and receive whom? All right, so that, you see, is what First Thessalonians chapter 2. I know you have all listened to lesson number 4 in the book of Revelation. It may not be perfectly presented, but folks, the material is there because it is the outflow from... John 14 and verse 3, and that has to do with the rapture of the apostles. It doesn't include anybody else. I will come again and receive my uh, receive you, you. He's going to come back to the very ones of whom he's leaving. He's going to come back to them, to them and to them only in this reference. And he's going to bring them unto himself, that where I am, you will be also. And you know the way where I am going. Now that is the role of the apostle. From the very beginning, Jesus establishes it with his apostles, that they had a unique place. And so in Acts chapter 1, we're going to find this in the process of being fulfilled. All right, any questions? Sure, when I give you three <coughs> minutes before end, you nobody has anything to say. Paul, Paul wasn't in that group. We can, we're, we can almost be sure. He was out of season. Um, <coughs> the apostles was... Uh, was with them and appointed as one of carrying out a mission equal to theirs, but was not one who would be, ter- would be uh, participating uh, in the same end result as these. <clears throat> All right, any other questions, any other comments? And I think... It- I, th- I think it was something that you was going to say during classes, and you didn't do it. It was while uh, I think Ted was talking. I'm not sure now, but you know, Christ was offered the world once. He was offered it, you know, by Satan. It, you know, during the temptation, and and so he had. It. If he wanted it, he could have had it then for a lot less trouble than establishing a kingdom and doing all these things that they a lot of people, I guess, assumed. Yeah. The disciples included, and he turned it. So he turned down the easy way once. And so why would he want to establish another one? And I, I, so while you were talking about that, I wonder if the disciples knew that he was tempted. 
I wonder if the disciples knew about that 40 days. I wonder if they knew about his fasting. I wonder if they knew about him meeting Satan, coming face to face, because I think there's a lot more to that event than we've given it credit. It's more than just a half of a chapter or something that we read about and forget about later. I think that the, uh, the disciples were not chosen until after those events. That's right. So, um, that, I mean, they were, they were not appointed by Jesus. Jesus said that the Father had already right. made the appointment, that, and his direct appointment was that he was the proximate one next to them. He was the one that had to make the choice, but his choice agreed with what God had already chosen. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1, when he changes pronouns, is referring to. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's valid, good, good thinking. Um, well, folks, I guess our time is gone, unless you've got time for one more question or comment. Yeah, I do. Uh, on, on, <clears throat> we're talking here about <clears throat> the written word passed down to us through the, the, uh, through the uh, apostles. Okay? Uh, there are many, many books that call themselves Bibles out there. Some of them don't have as many uh, the content that we use some of them have more. And how is it that we can determine the exact one that is correct? Well, I mean, I'm going to give you a very, simple, a very simple answer to a very complicated question. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that is that all the books, first of all, we, we're told by the apostles that we are not to add to nor take from what they have written. Absolutely. That's right. Now, anything that does not agree with the core of what they have said is either too much or is too little. So everything that the apostles have said is always in perfect harmony. Therein lies this beauty. You start taking away from it, and you start deflating their message. You start adding to it, and you can see the element of corruption. So just the core of what we have uh, is complete, and it is all in agreement and all in a harmony that is just beyond human um, comprehension. It's just so filled with beauty and, and uh, warmth, and you add to or take from, and something in that is always lost. Now, there are, there are ways of looking at the manuscripts but that's a, that's a technical study, but we could do that. But there are technical aspects of it, uh, that how the Bible that we have uh, has been selected and why some books have been, you know, the, um, the books of the, in the uh, Douay version are added, and, and the very word means uh, not founded. You know, the, the apocryphal books, that's what that word means, is um, unsupported. So they're in there, but they're at their good history, but they're not a part of the text. And um, you start adding to the Book of Mormon, and you, and you know the Book of Mormon has added things. 
as uh, do other, the Christian science and, you know, other religions have added to it. But there's always a conflict. And what they pick out, like in Ezekiel, they pick out the two witnesses of Mormonism. And uh, if, if they would just read two verses further, they would know that what Ezekiel is talking about is not what they did uh, in establishing their additional books in the Book of Mormon. So there are always clues, and there is the, the Bible as it stands is perfect, and it meets every human need. That's First Peter. Let me read that verse in conclusion. Since you brought it up, you gave me the right to read another verse. Go, go with me to Peter. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. We're going to have to close with this. But something that will make you perfect in every way why would we want any less or anything more? Seeing that his divine power, this is verse 3, and I'm skipping it a lot of it here because we're right in, you know, in the middle of a context, but um, we're out of time. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us uh, most everything. Oh, uh, what did you say, Greg? Everything, not... Oh, just everything. Oh, everything. Now, I don't know what you all mean by everything. It can't mean everything because you don't buy that. So, therefore, it can't be true, right? His divine power has granted to us everything, everything, say it again, everything pertaining to life and God-likeness. And what is the process? Through the true knowledge of him who called us through his own glory and excellence. Everything needed for us to, to have all of the qualities and characteristics of God-likeness have been given to us. We, therefore, have no excuse for what we've got. I mean, with what we've got, we have no excuses for not being more than we are. That good, good point, Alex. That true knowledge is 100% is what comes to us through the apostolic um, um, authority. We got to close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another wonderful day in being in your word together and in, in um, getting a glimpse of, of your nature and your character through a study of your word. May it continue to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.